intro for uh, being able to speak this morning, but I just want to say that I, I appreciate you guys so much, and I thank you. Um, I thank you for affirming me in this. Like John said, uh, becoming an elder doesn't mean that I become a perfect person or that I'm not going to uh, make mistakes along the way and that I'm not going to disappoint you. I probably will disappoint you by the time uh, the sermon is over or something like that. But it, what it means is just that I love you and that I want to give my life to, to serving you and to growing you spiritually. That's what being an elder over church means. It's just a stamp that I love you guys. So I thank you for affirming me. And I just it's a humble honor for me. And I just want to thank you all for being my family and for raising me and for, for getting me to this point. I just thank you guys. So on that note, I feel very uh, worthy at this time to preach the word over you. So if you would uh, open up to Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. And it's really cool. Today we are ending uh, the book of Colossians. We've been going through this book over the past several months. And we are ending uh, today. And uh, this is going to be a good sermon. It's not just a throwaway. Uh, This is a really good part of the book. And you're going to see why by the end of the sermon. Uh, But this is a really good section of Colossians. And so I'm really, really excited, uh, having been ordained, having been anointed to preach this text over you this morning. So Colossians 4, starting in verse 7, we're going to read the whole thing, but you'll see why we're reading the whole thing. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it's going to be on the screen behind me. So let's read it together. This is Paul to the Colossian church. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is with you, they will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Artichicus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, not Jesus Christ, another guy called Justice, right? There are only men, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And with this letter, have it read among you. Having also read the church, read it to the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received from the Lord. This is going to be an important verse later. Last verse, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, amen. May God bless the reading of his word over us this morning. I hope that you believe that it has power. That there's power in these passages and in these verses. I'm going to show you what these are. So like I said, I thank you guys for affirming me as an elder. But I kind of want, I knew this was going to happen. So I wanted to start out this morning just to let you know that I'm not going to let it go to my head. So I wanted to embarrass myself a little bit. And I think you'll know where I'm going with this. I'm just going to say two words. Yearbook photos. All right, so I'm sure you remember the, tor- the torture and the horror of going on yearbook photo day. I always had nerdy haircuts, and I always, you know, wasn't, I wasn't the coolest guy in the world. So for me, yearbook photos were always a really uh, hard day. And so I actually have uh, my yearbook photo that I'm going to show up here to bring me down a notch, just let you know I'm still a humble person. But I, I also have 
Lindsay's yearbook photo. I have Amy Horn's yearbook photo. I've got uh, uh, my mom's yearbook photo, our financial secretary. And of course, I have Pastor John's yearbook photo. I snuck into their house. I put it up on. I'm just kidding. They they, they told me I could do it. So let's put up first my picture, my current picture. That's me. Good looking guy. This was taken a few years ago. This is is on uh, our church website. Um, Okay, do the damage. This is, uh, this is my senior yearbook photo right here. This was taken not in the 70s. This was 2005. Um, I don't know. I, I wanted to grow my hair out because I thought it would be grunge. And obviously that's not what happened as a result of that. I got a little mustache and stuff like that. But I'm looking good. I'm looking fly. This is my senior true to life. It's in my parents' house on the mantle. This is my senior high school photo. All right. Take it off, please. All right, let's next one. This is Lindsay leading us in worship. Uh, This is her husband, Keith. And uh, this is one of Lindsay's high school photos, I believe. Throw it up there. There we go. Um, I'm not sure what you call that, but I I think that she dyed the bottom of your hair. I know that that's sort of a thing these days. But this this is Lindsay giving us some sass a little bit. All right, the next one. All right, this is my mom, our financial secretary, and uh, good, good-looking woman. And this is Abigail, my, my uh, uh, niece, my bad. All right, so let's throw up uh, my mom's photo. This is my mom. and th- I wanted to say, I just want to point this out. She said that everyone's high school photos were in black and white. This was not before there was color. This was just, uh, she wanted me to point that out to you guys. So they did all of them uh, in black and white. This was back in the uh, 1990s when she graduated high school. So, all right, let's go to the next one. All right, this is uh, Amy and Evan Horn. Amy leads up our kids' program every Sunday morning, as well as the Oaks Preschool that operates out of our campus. This is one of Amy's, I think this is freshman year right here. This is uh, pretty good. She doesn't look too different. Maybe her bangs are a little different. This is a good photo. She she looks like one of the pop stars that are on, like, YouTube right now, I feel like. All right, last one. All right, so here's John and Halsey and little Molly. And this is my my favorite one. I'm going to leave this on the screen for a little bit. Let's throw it up. John, what, was this freshman year? This was John's freshman year. Still got braces. You got braces, right? John, take a picture of that. Man, I'm so glad that you grew a beard and that you cut your hair a little bit because you look a lot cooler these days. So that's John's high school photo. But I think we can all relate to yearbook photos. And I was thinking as I was reading this passage, it kind of reminded me of like a yearbook, right? You remember back in the day how people would get your yearbook and they would sign it. And if they weren't a really good friend of yours, they would just sign their name and then they would put hags. Do you guys remember that? Have a great summer, just H-A-G-S. And they put nothing else. You knew that that was not really your friends. But if you had friends that you really liked, then they would either write an inside joke or they would fill up a whole page, and that's what you wanted, right? You, you knew who your friends were. That's what I love about high school. You know who your friends were. You, you know who's got you. You know who has your back. And back in the day, we used to call that our crew, right? I had my crew in high school. Maybe you called it posse or your gang. I don't know what you call it. Everyone else called it. We called it our crew, right? Well, I want to school you guys a little bit in some of the modern lingo. These days, people don't say crew. Crew is out. Posse's out. These days, it's all about the squad, right? All right, so you guys say that with me. Squad. So hashtag squad, hashtag squad goals. This is, this is the language of the next generation. So if you're not sure what that means, you don't have to go to Urban Dictionary, though I do that a lot, right? I go to UrbanDictionary.com more than I go to Dictionary.com. And if you go there, basically squad is just your friends, right? Squad is the people that you roll with. Squad is really, really important in life. People you roll with are really important. They influence you. 
They, they influence your actions. They shape who you are and your character. Your squad is really, really important. So I've entitled today's message, just because I teach youth, I can be really relevant. I've entitled it Squad Up, How to Win at Life. Right, so my, my youth are cool with this. I, I learned from them, so I'm a hip guy, so I can use this phrase. Squad up, how to win at life. And I feel like that's kind of a bold statement, right? My subtitle, how to win at life. That's a bold statement, right? And I think that I can make that statement because we have a bold gospel, amen? We believe that Jesus Christ was dead, and then we believe he was not dead. Right? So when someone's dead, and then they're not dead, and then they say that you're dead, but you can be not dead, then we got to start making some bold statements. We have a bold gospel. So I think that I can make a bold statement like how to win at life. I think that we can make this because of the gospel. When Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, it means we got to take our little statements, and we got to trade them in for big statements. Amen? So little statements like, oh, I just want to change a little bit, right? I I just want to be a little bit more holy, or I just want to change this little part of my life. we we got to take those statements, we got to throw them in the trash, and we got to recognize that the gospel is powerful transformation. That's what the gospel is about. It's about life transformation. So I'm not going to come here this morning and be like, let me just help you get a little incrementally better in life. I'm going to throw all that out and say you can be transformed by Jesus Christ. That he has power in the Holy Spirit. That he can help you be successful and to win at life. I think we all want to win at life. The problem is when you play a game, you've got to know what constitutes winning, right? Right? If you play basketball, you got to know that to win at basketball, you got to score the most points. That's how you win at basketball. And when you play golf, you got to realize to win at golf, you have to have the least amount of points, right? So you can't play golf with basketball rules. And you can't play basketball with golf rules. But we do that all the time. We look at other people out in the world and we see what constitutes success for them and then we apply that to ourselves. We say, man, that, that, that person's doing so well. They're successful in their job. I, 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 wanna, I, I think that that's winning, so I want to appropriate that for myself. Oh, man, these people just got uh, just a lot of money, a boatload of money. They're living the dream. Man, that looks like success. I want that for myself. We let other people define what winning is. And yet this morning, I believe that God wants us to listen to him in terms of what winning is. God defines what winning is. And in God's eyes, this isn't a beauty contest, right? He doesn't judge us based off of looks. In God's eyes, this isn't a boardroom. He doesn't judge us off of wealth. God has specific parameters for what winning looks like in life. And the first of those is being a follower of Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead victoriously. And so if you follow him, you're automatically winning. But in order to be successful in life, in order to thrive, you have to do some certain things in the church. And as one of your pastors, I want you to win. I want you to win. I want you to be successful. I want you to fulfill all that your life has, all the potential that you have in life. I want that for you so badly. Keeps me up at night. I pray for it. I want that for you. I want you to be successful. But if we're going to be successful, we have to play by God's rules. And we have to let him define what success is. If you go back to your passage, just sort of like look it over. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. But when I look at this passage, I think it shows us something very 
interesting about the Apostle Paul. When I see the Apostle Paul, when I think of him, I think of this super Christian going out there into the Netherlands to all these different places, just being a super Christian missionary. He don't need no one. He's all by himself. It's just him, God, and the people, right? And he's going out. That's what I think of when I think of Paul. And yet when I look at this passage and I see all these people that Paul mentions, I realize that Paul had a squad, right? Paul had a squad of people that were around him and that were influencing him and that were helping him in the mission of God. Paul had a squad. So behind this great man, this man that we respect, the man that we're we're reading the book that he wrote, behind him was a squad of people helping him along in life. You see, the Bible talks a lot about the danger of isolation, right? The Bible talks a lot about this. That those who isolate themselves, those who see themselves as an island off by themselves, they don't need help from people, they don't need people, they're just by themselves. The Bible says that there's danger in that. This is what um, King Solomon says about it. He says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Because you make bad decisions. He says, but in the abundance of counselors, there is wisdom. So if I have to paraphrase King Solomon, this is how I would say it. You have to squat up to move forward. Right? Is that just good, man? I love my lines. So you have to squat up to move forward. And King Solomon would have no idea what I meant by that. He would be scratching his head. But he would agree with the sentiment. That in order to move forward in life, in order to progress in life, you have to be careful about the people that you have around you. God has designed life in such a way that your progress in life is in part tied to other people. As an introvert, not the way I would have done it, right? I would much rather go by myself, go up on the cave, read the Bible all by myself, and come out with a lot of insight. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, he's a little bit more wiser than me, in his infinite wisdom, he said, to grow, you have to be around other people. To grow, you need other people. You have to squat up to move forward. And I think we do a pretty good job at this at the church. We emphasize community groups a lot. That's one of the ministries that I'm over. And we ran some numbers over the past quarter. And we found that over 80% of us in here are in some sort of small group, community group. That's awesome. That's really, really good. Because we believe that's where change happens. Change doesn't necessarily happen when we're off by ourselves. Change happens in the context of a community of people. So if you're not in a community group this week, maybe you're new to the church, or maybe you're not quite sure if you want to join one of those, my advice to you is to join one, right? Very simple, like today. Because we believe in community there is power over sin. That in community there is power over the addiction that you keep falling to. That in community there is joy, and in community there is peace, and in community you grow and progress in life. In those conversations, when you're circled up around other people and you're sharing your vulnerabilities and other people are praying for you, God is there. That's where God is at. God is in those places to transform you in life, in the context of community. Remember what Jesus said. He says, I'm going to build my church, right? And you can't have a church of one. It's impossible. Church needs at least two people. 
So what Jesus was saying was, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But not just that. I'm going to send you a group of people who are not perfect, but who are also walking in this life toward me. And together, as we get together and as we pray for one another, the Bible says that we grow in the faith. So if you're new, maybe you're visiting with us, we would love for you to continue to join us on Sunday morning. But I encourage you to consider taking the next step, walking in community. We are not perfect people. None of us are. And I think some people in here may not be in community because maybe you've either been burned or you're burned out. If that's you this morning, if you try to do small groups, if you try to get in relationship with people and you got burned by maybe someone who was judgmental or someone who, who you, you try to open up to people and they were judgmental to you, then I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness on behalf of those people. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't give up on community. It's important. It's vital. God commands us to do it. Don't give up on the process. You have to fight for it. Another benefit of community, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And that's good news because what does uh, Peter say? He says Satan prowls around like a what? He prowls around like a what? Roaring lion. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. You know what lions do? They look for the steed or they look for the herd and they look for the people who are not with the pack, right? But this morning, the truth for your life and the power of community is that two Christians are stronger than one devil. That's what the Bible is saying this morning, that two Christians are stronger than one devil. That when we get together and when we pray for one another, that Satan flees. That one-on-one, that's a, that's a hard battle for us to face. But two-on-one, we are more powerful than Satan himself. There is power in community. To use American language, the bottom line is community works. Community works. We all want to progress. We all want to grow. And yet I think often we find that when we try to do it by ourselves, we end up in the same patterns, the same ruts. We don't make any progress. The reason that is, the Bible calls us to community. If you're in a small group, then I I just want to thank you. I think you're doing a good job with that. But if you're in a small group, I want to call you to an even higher standard. I want to call you to two things. One, I want to call you to be vulnerable in your group. I want to call you to open up a little bit about where you are each and every week. To be vulnerable and say, man, this is where I'm at. I'm not having the best week ever. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with doubt. I've got these issues in my life. Be vulnerable about those things. The better we know one another, the better we can pray for one another. And the stronger we get and the more we progress in life. So that's number one. Be known by other people. And then number two, you've got to know other people. So I know that your community group leaders know you, but do you know the other people in your group? Do you know the other people in this church? Do you know what their dreams are, what their fears are, what their uh, personal struggles are, what their prayer requests are? The Bible says we are called to know each other. It says that we're a family. Are we a family here this morning? 
So I want to get us practicing that a little bit. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm just going to do it on the fly. What I want us to do for the next minute is I want you to look to someone around you, maybe to the left or the right, make sure they're not a part of their family, and I want you to ask the question, ask each other this question, very simple question, get to know you question, what is your favorite part of Christmas? Go. Turn to someone left of you, to the right, you take 30 seconds. What is your favorite part of Christmas? Let's learn a little bit about each other this morning. We'll take about 30 more seconds. All right, let's start wrapping it up a little bit. Now I want you to ask the question, what is the single greatest personal struggle that you have ever struggled with in life? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. No. The point is this, guys. The point is this. We've got to know each other. And knowing each other starts with reaching out and talking with one another. And so if you're in a community group, what I encourage you to do is find other people in that group and go get lunch with them. You're in a couples group, well, go find a couple that you don't know that well and get to go get lunch with them and get to know them. That's how friendships are formed. And if you're new or visiting with us and maybe you're not quite ready to take that step, I just encourage you to to consider taking the step to join community because we want to know you. In community, you find friendships. In community, you find power. In community, you find other people's struggles, things they've gone through that help you in your own life. We encourage community a lot at this church. You've got to know your squad. You've got to squad up to move forward. All right? Uh, let's look at verse number 17. Verse 17. We'll go to the second part here. It says, And say to Archippus, I love that name. That's a cool name. I really love that. Archippus is a cool name. If someone names their kid that, I will just give you a huge hug. All right? So Archippus. All right. So verse 17. Paul says this to this guy. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. See that you fulfill the ministry that you received from the Lord. I don't know who this guy was. Paul obviously knew him. And this is one of the last letters that Paul wrote. And so in this letter, Paul had one thing to say to this guy. And he says this phrase, this strange little phrase. See to it that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. What I see in this passage is that you had to fulfill to be fulfilled. That you had to fulfill your calling and your role and the calling that God has on your life in order to be fulfilled in this life. And this is kind of the opposite of what the world teaches us. It says that fulfillment is found in like things and different things like that. But I feel like they're catching on a little bit. That's why causes are really big and people like to go out and do service. The world is catching on that this is where fulfillment is found. They think it's something new, but Jesus has been preaching this for like 2,000 years, right? We, we know that this is where it's found. You have to fulfill to be fulfilled. I think there's an abdication of responsibility in our culture. I think that we are people who tend to shirk responsibility. We tend to shirk adulthood. And that's why we say words like adulting, which is my least favorite term of all time. I'm like, you either are adult or you're not. You don't like pick it on and off. Yeah, that's just a personal pet peeve. If you use that, it's okay. But I don't like that word adulting. I think that we shirk responsibility in our culture. And yet God is calling us to fulfill our calling. You know, one of the greatest things that my father ever uh, taught me, my earthly dad ever taught me to run toward work and not away from it. Man, he was always big on that. You run 
toward suffering and not away from it. You run toward need and not away from it. You run toward people and their struggles and their problems and not away from it. Be someone who fills the gap. And that's what I see in this passage as I look at all these people. I see them fulfilling their ministry. So this morning, one of my questions for you is, are you an archipus? Are you an archipus? You need to be reminded to fulfill your calling in life. That you have one. That God has given you specifically a ministry. You know, I see the church as like uncharted territory. It's like this place where we discover all that we are. We discover why God gave us this passion and why he gave us this gifting and why he gave us this talent or this personality. And all those things align here at the church. I think here at the church is the place where we find our calling in life. I thought about this this week. We may not be in a Disney film, but you can still find your destiny. Boom. Someone tweet that right there. I love that. We may not be in a Disney film, but you can still find your destiny. A part of your destiny is to serve in the local church and to serve your family. I think marriage is an uncharted island. Motherhood and fatherhood are places to discover your fullest potential. The Bible says that we are called to fulfill our ministry. And in that, I think we find fulfillment. The reason I bring that up is because we don't just squad together to be a people who are relatable to each other, who hang out with each other, but we are people who are on the same mission. Amen? We are on a mission at this church to make Jesus Christ look great and look wonderful and look awesome. And every single person in this room has a role in that. I can't fulfill your ministry. I can only fulfill my ministry and what the Lord gave me to do. You have a ministry in a way that you serve in the local church. Man, look back at this passage and look at some of these names. Look at all the different things that they were doing. Man, I was looking at this. I couldn't help it. I just call this the, the God squad right here. When I go through here, I'm just like using that word as much as possible. This is the God squad right here. All these people, all these talents, all these gifts, all these abilities, using them for the missio day, the mission of God. Are you a Tychicus? Are you someone who just brightens the room and just encourages everyone around them? Are you the center of the party? Are you encouraging the people? If you are, we need you. We need Tychicus in this church. Man, you're the type of person that I'm going to send to visit someone in the hospital. Because when you go, you get them laughing. Laughing is the best medicine, right? They might as well get out early, right? We need people like you in the church to be encouragers. Are you onesomeness? Onesomeness is like this faithful friend. That's what he says, faithful onesomeness. Are you like him? Are you a faithful friend? doesn't matter when someone calls you, day or night, you pick up the phone and you go. We need people like that. I mute my phone at like 6 p.m. I'm not that person, right? We need people who will answer day and night. We need faithful friends. We need onesomeness in this church. Are you Aristarchus, Paul's fellow prisoner? I don't know much about the guy, but can I imagine that he's unashamed for the gospel? Man, it don't matter what anybody says. He's going to preach Jesus Christ in a daring, undaunting way. We need people like this. Are you an Aristarchus in our church? We need you. We need bold people to invite others into the kingdom of God. Are you an Aristarchus this morning? We need you. Are you Mark or Justice, faithful workers in the gospel? 
I imagine that no matter what the task was, no matter what Paul told them to do that, even if it was take a letter and take it over to these people, just hand deliver the letter, didn't matter. They would do it. My turn for them is like always on call, no task too small, right? Man, I just I love the rhymes. Always on call, no task too small. This is Mark and Justice, people who served no matter what. Are you Epaphras? Man, Epaphras is an awesome dude in the Bible that gets eclipsed by Paul and Barnabas. Epaphras is awesome. It says that he prayed day and night. I know that we have people in this church who are prayer warriors, we got any prayer warriors in this church? Everyone just like love to pray. We've got a couple of prayer warriors in this church. Man, I know that there are people in this church who pray day and night for others. People who pray day and night for this church. And I know that you get like no credit for it all because it's not on stage. We need you. It works. I know that my mom personally is a prayer warrior because she was praying that I would get married for years and years and years. And now I got Sarah in the front row. So, hey, prayer works, right? So, so it, I heard that there were some people asking my mom to pray for them as well. So go to her. She's starting a thing. You know, so prayer works. You need people to pray on behalf, people who are steadfast, who don't mind God saying, wait, or wait, or wait. These are the people who go back again and again and again. We need you in the church. Are you Luke, the doctor? You're skilled in some technical way that we're just like, I'm just too stupid to be able to grasp it, right? We need people who are technical. We've got nurses in here. We've got doctors. We have engineers in here. God has gifted you with brains to use it to the glory of God, amen? We need you in this church. We need people like Luke. Lastly, are you Paul, a humble leader who can organize and lead? Can you start new ministries? Can you serve on teams in our church and lead other people? We need you in this church. All these different people have all these different giftings, and they're all using it to the glory of God. I like to use the term ragtag greatness. Because God takes this ragtag group of people and turns them into something great. We here at White Oak, I'm just going to say it, don't get offended, we are a ragtag group of people. We're a ragtag group of people, right? We are normal people with everyday lives, and we've got jobs, and we got problems, and yet Jesus takes us, puts us together, and makes us into a city on a hill. We are a ragtag group of people who have been made great in the gospel. Serving your family, serving your neighborhood, serving your church, these are the places that you find fulfillment. So step out in that way. Lastly, this morning, you may notice that I left one person out of the list from earlier. If you're very astute, you're going to know who it was. Does anyone take a guess? I hear some mumble. Demas. I didn't mention Demas. Demas is in this list. If you go back and you look at, um, I forgot exactly where the verse is at. There we go, verse 14. It mentions a guy named Demas. And the reason I don't mention Demas in my list of Hall of Fame is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Paul tells Timothy this. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You, you, don't want, you don't want your name, you don't want that to be associated with your name in the Bible for thousands of years, right? I don't want to be associated with that. Demas has this issue. If there's a warning in the message today, it's this. Don't be a Demas. Right? Don't be a Demas. You see, Demas shows us. That it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? Demas started strong. I'm sure he was rolling with Paul, he was doing the work of the gospel, he was doing all these things, and yet he did not finish strong. 
This morning, I'm going to tell you, it's okay to fall. It's okay to mess up. It's okay to make mistakes. But the gospel says it's not so much about falling, but it's about getting back up again. This is what the proverb says. It says, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Man, I don't care if I fall a thousand times, 10,000 times. All that matters is that I get back up again. So maybe this morning, this is your moment. I think a lot of times when it comes to failure in life, and especially in the Christian life, and especially sin and addiction and getting burnt out or getting burned by the church, I think we use our memory more than our imagination. We remember the burn, we remember how we fall, and yet the Bible calls us to imagine what the future can look like with Christ. Maybe this is your moment. It's time to get up. And it's time to get up if you've fallen this week. I see church, this is my personal view on Sunday morning gathering. I see this as a time for us to get recharged, fueled up, and to get sent out into the week. That's why I think it's so important for you to come every single Sunday, because I think we all need that boost. So if you this week, life knocked you down, you sinned, you fell to that addiction, I, I don't care how many times you looked at porn this week, if you've got to crawl here every Sunday morning, you've got to come. You've got to be charged up by this place. This is your moment to get back up. As your pastor, man, just think of it, you're like Rocky in the ring, right? I'm like, what's his name, Mickey? I'm on the sidelines, just like, you got to get up, you know, you got to get up. It's time to get up. I don't care where you're at this week. The gospel says, get up, to keep fighting, to squad up and join with us. None of us is perfect, but we're all moving forward in this life. Don't be a Demas. Get up, move forward, continue walking with us. So as we draw to a close this morning, I just want to remind us of something. I want to remind you of what the gospel makes us. The Bible says that no matter how bad of a sinner you are, no matter how many times you've messed up this week, the Bible says that in Jesus Christ we are made into the family of God. We are the family of God. This is what the Bible says. It says that he might, Jesus died so that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. We are brothers and sisters of the new kingdom. So I talk a lot about squad and all that, and that's kind of funny, whatever, but we are truly the family of God. And I want you to know that if you're here with us this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of the fam. You're in it, and you can't get out. You're, you're, you're done. You're stuck. You're with us. You're a child of God, and nothing that you can do can take that away. That's the power of the gospel. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. I want to invite you to consider joining in with this family. It's not a perfect family. But it's a family that's being made perfect in Jesus. That may take a lifetime, but he promises to do that for us. Maybe you're here and you're part of the family, but maybe the call for you this morning is not just to be part of the family, but to be a part of the squad, right? To join in the mission of God. We have so many opportunities here at the church for you to serve on Wednesdays and Sunday. And John mentioned a work day coming up. Church is a huge place where you find fulfillment in this life. And that's not the neglect of your family or your work. But here God calls you to serve and to use your talents for the good of other people.
maybe in the family, but are you in the squad? I love you guys. I love you as your pastor. And I want to help you reach your fullest potential. I want you to win at life. So at this time, I'm going to pray over us. Um, I'm just going to pray that God would bless you this week and that he would help us to be the people that he wants us to be. So will you bow your heads with me at this time? Dear Heavenly Father, gracious God, King of kings, Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, we come to you this morning, Lord, as a ragtag group of people. And yet we recognize that in the gospel we are being made new. That I'm no longer defined by sin and the people in this room are no longer defined by sin. They're no longer defined by failure. They're no longer defined by how the world constitutes success. But we have success because Jesus Christ rose from the dead victoriously. So I pray for them, Lord. I pray for this church that we might be a close-knit family of friends helping friends, of brothers helping brothers, and sisters helping sisters in this life. I pray for each and every person here, Lord. I don't care where they've been this week. I pray that they would fill your love in this place. And I pray that they might find their fullest potential in the gospel and everything that you've called them to be. I pray that. I believe that, and I claim that on their behalf. We love you, and it's in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.